Everything you know about health is about to change. Welcome to Straight Talk on Health with Dr. Vincent Medici. Sometimes people suffer, not from lack of faith, but from lack of knowledge. This is the show that changes that. If you are tired of being sick, tired of not getting answers, tired of spinning in circles, for healing is not a mystery. It is a miracle that you were designed to experience. It takes hard work and real knowledge. It takes patience and time. It takes the education this show can provide. So get it straight today. Here's Dr. Medici. Good morning. As most of you know, I'm Dr. Vincent Medici. Welcome to the show. Hail the state of Texas. They are out of lockdown. Hopefully California will follow. If not, as already noted, many Californians are on their way to Texas. You'll see this trend continue until this state straightens itself out. Today's show, I'm going to make a couple of comments. I want to draw together a couple of concepts for you. First one, a comment about higher education. Higher education, many say, has failed us. Well, this is fundamentally an issue, an issue of certainty. And what I mean by that is when you go to school and you study a subject like, say, genetics, so let's stick to something I'm more acquainted with myself, genetics, science, medicine, chemistries, organic chemistry, physical chemistry, genetics, microbiology, biophysics, so on and so forth. Those things that many of us unfortunately shun in school because the cult of science has veiled itself in secrecy and it makes it impossible to understand. Quite unfortunate, thus most people aren't even attracted to the hard sciences. This was not the case with me. But my point to you is when you study science, say specifically at that level, what I just referred to, what you find is certainty. Certainty means that your teachers are apt to teach you from the textbook and so on and so forth, that this is what we know. And just by definition, by the extravagance or defect of human nature, when you're taught in graduate school what we know, something that always comes with it is what we know is finite. Now, we know that what we know today, we don't know tomorrow. What we know today is contradicted by tomorrow. We know the history of science teaches us what we know today, we don't know tomorrow. But you see, for as much as we know that, that's kind of relegated to the coffee table and the polo lounge. In practicality, once we find something works because of what we know, all of us stick to that as if... It depends on our life that what we know today is finite. And when somebody or something comes along and says, no, what we thought we knew, we don't know. In other words, something new. It's attacked. It's destroyed. It has to go through many ramifications, many revisions before anybody hears anything about something new. To the point where Kuhn, K-U-H-N, the structure of scientific revolution, Kuhn argues that and Einstein said this also, that it's not that P 
people that hold to a present-day theory get convinced that the new theory trumps it. It's that all the people that hold to the old theory just die. And in their absence, we start to accept new things. And I want you to hang on to that concept today over the next 25 minutes because it's very relevant. <clears throat> you see, this thing called DNA, unfortunately foreign to most lay people. And I, I point out that computers to some today, your average 80-year-old, 85-year-old, 75-year-old sits at a computer and it's a sad sight. Because it's this foreign organism. Remember, if you're 75 or 80, when you were born in 1920, we barely had electricity and telephones. If you're 120 years old today, and some of you are, not too many, but we have them around. At the turn of the last century, we barely had electricity, telephones, and airplanes. So... It's not too far to remember that if you're 80 years old today, something like a computer was science fiction, beyond science fiction. It was unimaginable. And so we watch people work with computers today at certain age groups, and it's, it's terrible. It's even worse when they try to comprehend this massive influence we call the computer. Well, I got to tell you that this word genetics, DNA, DNA testing... Really, if the world understood it, we would have understood the scam of COVID. The true scam of the century would have been understood if the public understood, even like they do computers, the DNA and the genetics. And I'm saying to you that DNA and genetics is something you must understand. And you don't, but just keep that little nugget in the back of your head. Because you're going to see more and more and more of it in the common vernacular. It'll go the way of computer. And sooner or later, 10 to 20 years, everyone's going to understand a little more, even a lot more, about DNA, about genes, about gene transfer, about alleles, about mutagenicity, the rate of mutation determined by what outside exogenous influence. And this is so important today. It's very important to start to comprehend the relationship between our Lord Jesus Christ and the word DNA. Now, there's a mortal sin in and of itself to make the connection between the two immediately would warrant the closure of most universities, meaning you can't make that connection. But what I mean in a more layman's term is the relationship between the structure of the DNA molecule by what we call genetics and the etheric influences, the biomagnetic influences, the electromagnetic influence, the influences to the genetic structures, to the configurations and sequences of DNA, the relationship of those things that we call our genetics, our Genes, our eyes are blue or green or brown, we're tall or short, we're freckled or not freckled, our hair is red or our hair is, is brown or our hair is black. These things we are taught in genetics today as immutable, immutable, meaning DNA outside of mutations, mutational rates that occur 
at very, very low frequencies is immutable. It's fixed. And that is not true. We're not allowed to say in genetics that the molecule is vibrational. Now, it's commonplace knowledge that molecular structure, the double helical structure of the DNA molecule, it's commonplace to understand that the chemistry of it breaks down to the physics of it. And when we talk physics, we talk wavelength and frequency. And so that's not really new. But that the frequencies, therefore the structure, therefore what is termed immutable, is far more vulnerable to changes in its basic structure of changes in frequency and wavelength that can be produced deliberately is what genetics is not willing to understand. So let me put it to you this way, fellow Christians. If Jesus performed miracles, make no mistake about it, those miracles implied a change in the allelic structure, in the basic fundamental biochemical shape of the DNA molecule. There's no two ways about that. You can't perform miracles. You can't make those claims. You can't augment, modify dramatically. You can't change water into wine without changing DNA. So we have a quandrum here. Either Jesus didn't perform miracles, Moses didn't part the Red Sea, every single thing in the Old and the New Scripture that was miraculous. It either didn't occur, or DNA, as they teach it today, from Harvard to Yale to San Bernardino Community College, as they teach it, is very limited. I argue for the latter I argue for the latter. And what that comes down to then is the rate of mutagenicity, the rate that an organism, by virtue of cell replication, will change the nucleotide sequence of whatever little strand of DNA and its location on the chromosome we're referring to. That the sequence changes, whether deleteriously, and you birth, you know, a defective organism in some way, or whether the sequence changes beneficially and you create a Superman. That's what you call the rate of mutagenicity, and it relates to the chemistry, but more than the chemistry, the physics of the molecule. Our understanding of that physics, of that biophysics, because we are talking about a living organism, that biophysics is not well understood. The laws that govern it, we are only on the cusp of understanding, and yet if you sit in a class of genetics, I'll give you an example. You study genetics, and you're told statistics like E. coli, commonplace bacteria, many species, not just the one that causes you, you know, food poisoning. This is E. coli that lives in your intestine that's healthy for you. You talk about microbes like E. coli only to find that in one day, one day at their rate of replication, a colony of E. coli bacteria will produce 
2,000 years of evolution. They multiply so fast. So fast do they duplicate their populations that they'll go through in 24 hours what it takes Homo sapien 2,000 years to replicate. Therefore, their rate of mutagenicity is unfathomable. The rate at which they can multiply themselves to respond to the world and the challenges of the world is incomprehensible to us as human beings. So there's much ado about the word mutagenicity. We talk about even COVID, the idiotic COVID, the coronavirus. We talk about its rate of mutagenicity. And of course, this is being scammed into. Now, even though we have a vaccine, we have multiple strains of it. And we have to make sure that the vaccine, Pfizer or the other one, or Moderna or the third one by Johnson & Johnson, are effective against the strains of COVID. Here's a little hint. Don't ask Dr. Fauci. He doesn't know the answer. But the point is... You're constantly, in one way, shape, or form, whether you know it or not, having relationship to the rate of mutagenicity, a.k.a. my point, COVID. You're going to deal with this. You're not going to get around understanding what I'm talking about right now. It's here. It's here, and it's here to stay. And my point to you is, if Jesus performed miracles, which he certainly did, there was something about his potential. And I'm going to suggest to you his potential as man to influence his own rate of mutagenicity. Things weren't made of solid brick to Jesus. They were made of something more fluid. And it's that fluidity and mastery of its fluidity that we should be applying to our understanding of the genetic sequences. And guess what? We are. We're actually doing this. I brought up the name last week, Carl Woese, W-O-E-S-E. -E. I've given to you Carl Zimmer, Robert Sepper. In archaeology, in anthropology, in microbiology, in genetics, we're starting to see that the tree of life in other words, our evolutionary line is very different than what Darwin thought it was, and we can commend our understanding of genetics to start to confirm these things. There was a tree of great diversification and not a line that has to be applied to our understanding of who we are in relationship to each other, and this is very important to me. Because I assure you, just as sure as the sun will set today, that there was a time, not too long ago, there was a time mentioned in the Old Testament where our understanding of this through our health habits, our practice, what we did when we got up in the morning, throughout the day, and when we went to sleep at night, what we did, that ecosystem, that terrain that we lived within, starting, of course, with the fertility of the earth and everything else we did in relationship to it, allowed us a higher degree of mutagenicity. 
In other words, a.k.a. we knew God in a deeper way as a community. Now, wait a minute. I just said genicity, mutagenicity, the rate at which we felt somewhat in command of changing the environment through which the frequency and wavelength of the DNA molecule shifted itself, thus expressing differently six or seven or eight or nine or 10 or 15,000 years ago as compared to today. And that it correlates proportionally in the broad spectrum of culture that perhaps we understood God a little more deeply in days of old. Perhaps you can accept that. I'll tell you who thinks what I just said is absolute retardation. Any tenured professor in any university, in any place in the world, that calls himself a chemist, a geneticist, a physicist, a biophysicist, what I just said is heresy, insanity, and nonsense. And you send your children to those institutions for education. And what do you get now that academia is mired in the stagnance of its hypocrisy, of its inability to respect God and the molecule all in one? What do you get upon their graduation? You get squat, which is the word today. Studies show more and more that we're understanding that a college education is useless. It's not what we thought it was. It's not as important that it's a waste of money, that when you compare tuition costs against what your child gets when it gets out of school, it suggests that he should have studied a trade. Yeah, there's a lot more about that, is there not? And why do you think that is? Because education is dead. It's locked into the stagnance of minds that have to hold on to current models without allowing enough breathing room. So if you sit down and you talk to someone with a PhD in molecular biology and you suggest that the toxic xenoestrogens off the smokestacks in Long Beach are creating estrogenically driven cancers in women, more so in San Pedro and Long Beach because of proximity to the diesel fumes, the young lady or man with their newly acclaimed PhD that they proudly flaunt on the walls of their office if they even have one, usually it's a cubicle, looks at you blindly and says, we can't talk about that. I could give you a thousand examples of molecular ignorance, but it's deeper than that. Name Carl Woese, W-O-E-S-E. Outwardly, he was a passionate scientist. Inwardly, he was an alchemist. Outwardly, it was all hard data. Inwardly, he was looking for God. So it makes no surprise to me that he's the first one we want to credit. There's a whole string of them since then. There's a whole string of Carl Woses, and it's all pointing to the fact that at one time, yeah, around the Garden of Eden and probably before, we were made up of a diversity of what we would call humans, if that's even the word, a diversity of them that you can find little semblances of today mixed in with the putrid, stagnant arrogance 
of what we call civilization. That today, the tree of life should lead us to understand that the shift between people, the differences we see between people, and I cite this idiocy with COVID, that more people can't see how deeply they've been lied to, is an example of what I'm talking. Meaning, why is it that you can see it and they can't? Why is it that you walk along the beach and off in the distance is a young man or a young woman meditating on a rock overlooking the ocean, wearing a mask at 7 o'clock in the morning, clearly half a mile from anything breathing, living, or walking upright, but they feel they need a mask at a beach on top of a rock. Just saw this earlier this week. What is it about those people? What tribe do they come from? And we've got all sorts of psychoanalytic nonsense to explain these differences. But really, the differences we should be looking at are that there was a tribe, a universal tribe, that we might describe as a amalgam of many tribes, all of which had the genetics to understand what it takes to understand life and God. I would say it's the tribe composed of many tribes that have consciousness. Consciousness. Amidst that, this planet has always been inhabited by many other groups who don't have consciousness. Those who have consciousness and those who don't have consciousness. This isn't something you learn about in school, is it? You don't even use the word consciousness within religious context. So I think it's a safe word to use because it suggests something large. What consciousness does one have if they can't see the scam, exaggeration, self-indulgement, entitlement, arrogance of how this virus has laid itself down for us? And don't think today is about the virus. I couldn't care less about this virus. I use it as a recent important example of the difference between those who have consciousness and those who lack it. And this is on the tip of our tongue at all times. How about the very show you're listening to today about or purported to be related to holistic medicine, a lousy word for what I'm talking about. But nonetheless, holistic medicine, alternative medicine, that you just might stay healthy by keeping your body healthy. Even that is a matter of this division. Some people think it's nonsense. Some people just go to the doctor at Kaiser, and when the doctor says, it's time, Jim, to replace your hip joint, and I'm not talking about anybody, if in fact someone's name is Jim, or Harry, or Mary, or Bernie, it's just your time to replace your hip joint. And you just bend right over and do it. You don't even question it. And then when it's time to take your gallbladder out, and then when it's time to take an ovary out, when it's time to do a back surgery, a back fusion, how many of us watch people like that just take it like that? And you look at it and you say, that's absurd. That's a difference in consciousness. If you study genetics today, genetics will lead you to an understanding that the tree of life was such that looking at all tribes 
on all seven continents across the globe from thousands and thousands of years ago. We had tribes that held a greater, higher percentage of whatever genetics was required to exhibit consciousness. And I mean consciousness. The Basque, the Basque near the Pyrenees, consciousness, the Berbers, consciousness, the Welsh, consciousness, what we call in Ireland and England the Druids, consciousness, whoever settled the Southern European nations before the Etruscans, consciousness, the Sumerians, consciousness. There was a time when consciousness pervaded the planet. And there was a time when there was less consciousness on the planet. And we, unfortunately, are at a point now where we're at a turning point where those who are conscious and those who are unconscious are talking to each other and not in a very friendly way. Because the future of the world depends on a higher consciousness. And what that means, man, my advice to you, and this I don't expect you to understand, but my advice to you is to go to the body for your answer because omitting the body from the process which, through which you discern consciousness, through which you create a higher consciousness, omitting the body from the process is ludicrous. You don't know left from right without a real connection to the body. I've done 512 shows now trying to illuminate this. So really what a health practice is then, a health practice is what you do with your body each day to expand consciousness. And you can only measure that by measuring something within your physiology. This is something we don't really understand yet, but God willing, some of you in my audience who listen to the show, who actually study my shows, will understand what I mean. Without which... This is all a conversation for the bar room or the coffee table or the cigarette break or something that may sound hopefully a little interesting but has no real meaning, that packs no real punch, and yet it does. So here's what I'll leave you with for today. The rate of mutagenicity in the human organism is directly proportional to your health practice. And this is something that science wants to deny you. That you can alter your genetic expression, your phenotype, in ways that science cannot quantify it. Jesus did it, and we are in his image. Look at it that way. If you're lost in the labyrinth of health and you need to be set on the right track and you have enough guts to do so, 714-850-1007, 714-850-1007. I'm Dr. Vincent Medici. We'll see you next week. Okay, that's a wrap. Don't forget to get to Dr. Medici's website at drmedici.com to look at the pictures and review the show as often as you wish. See you next week.